G'day everybody, and for those who have come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom podcast. My name is Jermaine, and today I am joined by Dan. How are you, Dan? Very good, Jermaine. Um, delighted to be talking to you on a, on a Saturday morning. <laughs> That's what everyone says. No. <laughs> uh, no, it's. I'm looking forward to today. Um, this is a huge honour that we're going to be talking to one of the artists and creators of the Defenders of the Earth TV series. Now, before we introduce the guest, Dan, do you have a childhood memory of the Defenders of the Earth TV series? I wish I did, but I grew up in the wrong part of Australia and we didn't have um, Defenders of the Earth on the on the ABC, which was the only channel that we could get in the Northern Territory. So unfortunately, even though I'm in the prime age bracket for the series, I missed seeing it as a kid. So um, watched it instead uh, as a young adult, I suppose, and yep. recently um, yeah, dug out the DVD again to to share with my kids who are now in the right age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm very much similar. I didn't watch it as a child, but I watched it as a 22-year-old during my uni days. Um, I splurged and brought myself a box set. This is actually the slipcase here. Um, and then I watched it over Christmas because I didn't go home for that um, that Christmas period. So this was my nighttime viewing. And now my daughter, who's actually uh, five at the age at, at the time, has actually watched the whole series herself. And she knows the song. She's got a little dance routine for the song. And she loves the Phantom, Jetta, uh, Sisha, who's the, the Panther, and Zuffy as well. And they're her favourite characters out of the TV series. Um, and, yeah, and, and she loves it. So, um, so it's it's a it's a multi generational TV show. Uh, so so before we go on too much further, we'll introduce um, Rick Hoberg, who uh, we'll find out soon what he did on the on the TV show. But um, Rick, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Now, did we or did I uh, pronounce your last name right, or did I get it yeah, wrong? Yeah, Hoberg, exactly as you said. Yeah. Yes, I got one right. Uh, <laughs> 152 episodes in, we've already got one. <laughs> I've been called Humbug and Hoberg. And <laughs> um, yeah, I've unfortunately I've got a bad reputation, I guess you could call it, of getting uh, getting names wrong. Um, so, uh, thank you for joining us, Rick. Oh, it's my pleasure. Like I said, it should be fun. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to this. So what I was wondering is to start off, if we can, if you can start telling us a little bit about yourself, like your age or your range, uh, where you grew up, what you studied, and then how you got into the comics or the animation um, area, and then we can just kind of go from there. Okay. Um, well, I actually, about a year and a half ago, I retired from the animation union. I'm going on 68 at this point. And uh, I still do work here and there. It's just I don't do a lot of animation storyboard work anymore just because it's rather grueling work. It, it's mm -hmm. hard to do. It gets harder every year because there's more requirements. But I started out uh, wanting to draw comic books. That was my first interest. And one of the things that really got me fascinated with animation is when Johnny Quest started when I was a kid. Yeah. And that show just blew my mind. I mean, I just really couldn't believe it. it was a show on TV about a kid my age who was going off on all these science fiction adventures. And years later, my first job in the business was at Hanna-Barbera on their Godzilla show that was done during the 70s. And the guy producing the show was Doug Wiley, the guy who created Johnny Quest. So 
it was a, a great moment for me. And he taught me a lot. He, he kind of mentored me. But like most mentors in that business, in this business that is cartooning, they're pretty hard taskmasters. And they need to be to keep mm -hmm. you going where you want to go. Anyway, that led to working on shows like Super Friends and so forth at Hanna-Barbera. And fairly quickly, I moved over to uh, uh, Ruby Spears to work on Thundar the Barbarian which was just a, a, a show I really wanted to work on. And uh, it was, it, that was a really terrific experience. And there I met a whole bunch of other guys in the business and my, my horizons expanded and I ended up at Marvel. And in my second tour at Marvel, after I had left Marvel the first time to go work for DC Comics, I came back and pretty much worked right into Defenders of the Earth because the head guy creatively over there was Will Minio. Will kind of guided everybody. He was a producer, but he was kind of treated like an overall art director, producer, the whole thing. And Will and I had been friends for a long time. We both met on the same day that I went to interview for Godzilla at Hanna-Barbera and he was there for his first job too. So we've kind of come up in the business together. Mm, right. And anyway, he chose me to be his right-hand guy on Defenders of the Earth. So we did all the presentation stuff or oversaw it. And we had a great uh, stable of artists to work with. It was just stunningly good because you had all these guys who had just come in from the Philippines, like Nestor Redondo and Alex Nino and people like that. And there was also comic book artists like uh, Sean McManus and Jim Valentino did a little work for us and stuff. Anyway, that's how I ended up on Defenders of the Earth. And I'd always loved the, uh, the King Features characters, particularly Flash Gordon, because I fell in love with Raymond Flash Gordons from the 40s. But I also probably was introduced first to the Phantom because I read that strip pretty regularly in local newspapers. Mm -hmm. And Mandrake, I knew of just because if you know about those characters, you're going to know about Mandrake the Magician. Yeah. So it was fun to do that, and it was fun to get involved there. So about what year was that that you um, that the, the genesis for the series started up? Boy, the 80s are a bit of a blur for me because <laughs> so many things. So I'm going to guess about 1983 or four we were producing that show. Wow. So because... I, when I came in at Marvel, the first go-round, when they were in a small building on Sepulveda Boulevard in, uh, and near Ventura Boulevard in the, in the, uh, uh, in the valley, um, we started uh, the Spider-Man show that led into Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Basically, they're an overlapping show because the Spider-Man show, 26 episodes, I think, is what we did. And it was meant to be, it was going to be syndicated, but it was meant to be something as a showpiece for the studio. And NBC picked up Spider-Man and his amazing friends because they wanted something to compete with Super Friends over on ABC. And we had a lot of the guys who'd worked on it, including we picked up Don Jerwich, the director who was the main director on Super Friends for years. And Don was a great guy to work with, wonderful. So anyway, me and uh, Will Minio again, Will was there, and Larry Houston were the three main guys, and added on to that came Russ Heath and Mike Sikowski after a while, 
and a really talented animator named Dick Sebast, as well as a lot of old timers from the business. Like I can name Art Leonardi was there and there was a few others, uh, the names don't come to mind, but there was a lot of really great old time animators too that they had there. Cause this was the old DePatty Freelink studio. So they'd been doing all of the Pink Panther stuff and so forth and so on. So they had a good mix of guys from there. Um, we did the Hulk show and GI Joe. Then the studio had to expand. So they moved over to a big studio, um, just a little ways from there, maybe two miles from there on a bigger boulevard. And um, that's when I came back and we ended up uh, uh, starting to develop the show. And we had the designers I've mentioned, like I'm going to show you in a bit uh, artwork uh, that was pre-show stuff. That is, it was lead up stuff, concept stuff by Alex Nino and Nestor Redondo and myself, as well as I've got some uh, final uh, uh, art that was done by me and Nestor Redondo for, for the titles of the show and things like that. So these were, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nestor Redondo or Alex Nino? I've heard of the names. Mm. But no, just fantastic yeah. artists, fantastic artists. Yeah. So we had guys like that, but Will and I really, uh, ran the whole thing. We, we were the guys who, who handed out stuff or did it ourselves and had other people linking it. So we got what we wanted. And that was a, a really good thing to do because it enabled me to also uh, design most of the main characters. We, we worked with other people, of course, but when it came to the final designs for the show, I designed Flash and Phantom, who is, of course, just the Phantom. There's not a lot to change there as well as uh, Rick and Jetta and, uh, and Mandrake and uh, Lothar was my finish over Will Minio's basic design. Will came up with that uh, military look for him. Yeah. And Ming was, in the end, a combination of me and a few other people. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. So, um, so just, just, a, just a question. A lot of our listeners are probably are familiar with comic book drawing. What's the difference between a comic book and an animation? Is it are you able just to be able to tell us like the the process between an animation and what's? I'm assuming that you've got if you've got 20 frames per second or, or something. There's a lot more that's involved with an animation. Is that is that correct or? Oh yeah, animation and comics are they overlap a lot in in design and the approach to storytelling, but comic books are told in design where animation, like any film, is told in time. That is, you can do a panel in a Spider-Man comic and have Spider-Man leaping in, saying four or five pieces of dialogue, punching out five guys at a time, but you can't do that in one shot in animation. You actually have to... Uh, uh, think that out and you have to stage it properly. And so the, the difference there is just that animation takes time to go where it's going, where uh, comics are going to be about the design of the page, getting as many of the elements in there as you can, and just keeping the flow moving from one drawing to the next. You don't need to worry about that in animation because there's cutting and movement of the film and so forth. Design-wise, 
especially back in the day we were doing those things, it was a very, uh, you had to take a simpler approach to the characters yeah. than you would in a comic book. You could add a lot of shadowing in a comic. You could add a lot mm. of, uh, you know, cross-hatching, uh, anything like that, all sorts of uh, design elements. Zipatone, for instance. Is, you know what Zipatone is? It's that tone yeah. pattern, not pattern, and so forth. So, for instance, doing both, because I started in comics working for Russ Manning on Overseas Tarzan comics. Russ was the guy drawing the Tarzan comic strip at the time. And then Marvel Comics hired me via Roy Thomas to work on What If and some Conan stuff and eventually Star Wars. So I know both worlds and I know that you have to simplify your designs for animation, but you still want to keep as much of the original as you can. Hmm. Uh, some characters, like I can tell you Spider-Man is pretty easy to do because Ditko just created a wonderful design there. It's, it's all about uh, the shape and the webbing design defines the form and things like the eyes and so forth are all very simple. It, it's harder to keep that, keep track of that when you're animating it because things like the webbing can get a little crazy. If you've watched any of these earlier shows, you'll see times when the webbing, instead of going downwards, like a web spreading out, they, they, they take the things and they bring them up, upwards so that you've got this odd pattern happening. But most of the time they're able to get it right. Other characters, for instance, Iceman in the, uh, the uh, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends show had to be completely redesigned for animation so that you get uh, planes to work from. That is, you'd see edges of the ice and, and, and how it defined his form. It was, for me, it was pretty easy and fun to do because these were all favorite characters of mine to begin with. I went in for a, with a real love for all of these comic book and comic strip characters. Mm. Thus, it's, it's more about simplifying but still doing really good, solid drawing. So in Defenders of the Earth, then, would the fan of Phantom would have been one of the easier ones to incorporate into animation then because he's a pretty, yeah, pretty simple just, design? Yeah, he's just a, a, a purple leotard. With And when we did the show, I'd have to look, but I think we took the stripes off of the, 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 uh, the underpants, basically, mm. trunks, and because that would have been a, a problem to deal with. And other than that, he's pretty simple to do. His are, his are all simple forms, like Mandrake is too. Even Flash is, is simple. The big problem with Flash is there is no definite outfit for Flash Gordon. The, the thing that most defines him is the lightning bolt red shirt. Other than that, the pants and boots and everything constantly changed in the comic strip. In fact, by the time we were doing it, he was wearing more astronaut-type stuff, I believe. I, I didn't follow it as closely at that point. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of our questions was about the Phantom Stripe trunks. Um, yeah. But it's, it's good to hear, I guess, from the person who actually designed him that that was actually the reason why they were dropped. And you can, if you think about it, you can see where the problems could come in in that you could have a scene with the Phantom with them going in the right direction, which I believe is right to left. They, they go down, isn't that correct? Yeah, they're right to left, I believe. And you could easily, in animation, have one scene like that, and then somebody screws up in the next one and flips them around so they're left to right. Or 
they don't put the black and the and the uh, purple. Is it or blue? Is it blue, blue or purple? Yeah, the you you put those stripes incorrect at at some point. That is, the blue is suddenly the black and so forth. Mm, yeah. so it was just a decision by the producers to do that. A guy like me probably fought for to keep the original because I'm I'm a real stickler for that kind of stuff. Only when I know something has to be changed will I do it. Other than that, I'm 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 a pretty big pain in the butt when it comes to that. <laughs> so, it would have it would have saved a lot of time not having to um, look at the at the underwear every time. <laughs> yeah, well, also you um, you have to realize we weren't we're, we were we were really crunching this stuff out uh, in animation. The people who were animating it over in Korea we're having to turn out tremendous volumes of stuff. And you'll see a lot of mistakes still left in the film at the time because they didn't have time for retakes. Some of the most hilarious retakes are in shows like Super Friends from the year, from years back during the 70s where you'll see actual stuff on screen where Superman or would be talking to Wonder Woman or something and he'd turn his head to look the other way and his mouth would still be over here. <laughs> so there was always retake problems that we had to deal with. So you wanted to simplify as much as possible. Mm. Yeah. So, so you made mention of Korea there. So I just, I would just want to like go, kind of go over the, I guess the flow of the creation. So, so you and Will did the storyboards, and then did it go? There was a lot of guys doing storyboards. A okay. Ton of them. Most, so, mostly. Guys. So could you just go over the flow, like from like I guess you get a script. And then, yeah. what does it go to a storyboard? Yeah, exactly. You, the script is handed to the director producer, which is what they called us at the time, even though we were basically directors. And you would have a staff to work with. I had a small crew, and we had um, each had our own guys to work with. And there was also a pool of artists that we could pick from if we needed to. And quite often we could freelance out to other guys outside the studio. So you'd take the script and break it into three to four sections. Three was optimum because there was three acts in a show. The first act, second act, and third act. They were always broken down like that. And that way each guy who was doing each act could keep track of what was going on and just communicate with the next guy in line who was doing the second act. Mm. How... Uh, how they were doing the direction and and that is what direction characters were going in so that the next guy could pick it up and keep the characters moving in the same direction for to hook up to the next ad. And once in a while we'd have to break it up a little more because we were on a deadline crunch and or some guy would fail in his deadline and you'd have to pull other people in to finish some of his work. And that was common in the business at that point. So from there, during that period, I should say, we would have models being done for for uh, uh, extra for supporting characters or guest stars and we'd have props being designed and we'd have backgrounds being designed and quite often at that point we'd have um, we'd be taking design ideas directly off the storyboards that that is the background designers for instance were really under the gun all the time so it was easier for them if the background I mean, if the background was basically designed by the storyboard artist then was handed to them to do a finish and there was then a uh, cohesiveness between what we were doing 
From there, it was uh, the, the storyboards were turned in, revised, and edited. So, and that was generally my job. I would go through and do all the redesigns and re-storytelling that needed to be done. And after all the, though these elements had been finished, it was timed by a timing director so that you had specific timing for each shot and timing on how, the, how long it took a character to do something. This was all sent overseas and the animation was created from there. Then when it was brought back, it was edited and put together as a film. Wow. The, mm. the, at that point, I don't think the voice acting was being done prior to the storyboards, which is always optimum. We were doing it at the same time. So quite often the voice direction was being done uh, the voice recording was being done separately and we would make sure that it hooked up when it was sent overseas. I, I, on that particular show, I wasn't involved in the voice directing or casting because there were two head supervising producers, uh, guys named uh, uh, Bill Hutton and Tony Love, who kind of oversaw the whole thing while me and the, the two uh, rookie directors because there was another guy and me who were new at this but the head of the heads of the studio really wanted me involved and they wanted me to learn the ropes on this show yeah so i've got so just here i've for those who are listening to um podcasts i'm about to show you a couple of things look this is actually a script of the defenders of the earth tv show this one is the White Hole of Ming, which is part two of the of the of five, which which was joined together as the movie. Who wrote that? Who's who's the writer? The script, Larry Parr. Yep. And who else? Anybody else? Uh, on this one, which is episode eight, I believe it is. Uh, uh -huh. This one's by Arthur Bryan. Yep. So Larry was one of the head writers at the studio. And he's the guy who ended up uh, uh, being teamed with Larry, Will, and I to do uh, Pride of the X-Men when we did the X-Men uh, teaser show that we wanted to use to sell the Fox. Okay. And then another thing that I've actually got is I've actually got a photocopy of a, um, of a storyboard. It's out of order. Um, but so for those who are on YouTube, um, here's just a, a couple of shots Gotcha. Of, uh, yeah. of, of some storyboards. Um, it's fascinating watching that. And I must admit, I'm not, I don't fully understand the whole animation process, but seeing the, you know, those little six little squares and then the, and then the, um, what do you call it? The, the storyboard and the story going over it. There seems to be a lot of work going into it for, um, for uh, 20 yeah. show. Yeah, oh, a tremendous amount. You're going to have, uh, in shows these days, I think you get upwards of 450 to 600 scenes in a show. That's not drawings, that's scenes. Because each scene can have from one panel to 15 panels. I mean, it depends on what action is going on and what, what's, what's happening. So in those days, we were doing a number of panels, but also we were telling stories more like comic books. That is, where we would get away from it, we would just do, we could get away with it, we would just do uh, a held shot that told a lot of story, much in line with Johnny Quest, the original Johnny Quest, 
which was basically a moving comic book. It, it was it quite often relied on just what we would call held cells and uh, and just drawings of characters and scenes. For instance, a held cell, for instance, is you remember Johnny Quest, the title sequence? Uh, yeah. The sky and stuff. The yeah. jet was in a held cell. That is just a painted cell that they were moving a background behind and overlays in front of to give the illusion of movement. But nothing was actually moving on the jet. And so we did a lot of that kind of stuff as well. And I actually love doing that stuff. That stuff is just fun. It, it makes sense because then it's easier to have three or I guess, you know, three pieces moving than it is having to create different images for that, you know, for the same illusion. Oh, you can't actually do it on the budgets we had. And even today, the shows done for TV are uh, simpler in many cases. And, and they use a lot of great techniques these days. We've got the advantage of having CGI we can use so they can create three-dimensional props and backgrounds. In fact, these days when I do a storyboard, I'm quite often given what they call an FBX file, which is a three-dimensional file of something, uh, such as when I was working on the Avengers show, was it the Avengers? I think it was Spider-Man, the most recent Spider-Man show. We were given a three-dimensional moving uh, New York City. So you could just turn it, take a screenshot of it, and drop it right into your storyboard, oh, which is yeah, great. Yeah. Takes a while, but it, it's great stuff to do. Mm, yeah. So yeah, we have to keep this stuff uh, uh, simple, and 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 uh, it, everything was hand drawn or hand painted at that point. Yeah. So obviously a lot of work. It's also a cast of thousands, um, by the sounds of it. Would, uh, approximately how many people would um, would have contributed to any any one episode? In the in the uh, pre production part of it, the, the production, pre-production that I'm involved in or was involved in, there would have been myself and writers. Uh, and so the, let's say there's like four or five directors on a show like this, because we had to do 65 half hours in a really short amount of time, so they needed to get them done by a number of people. Hmm. And we had uh, prop designers and, like I said, and background artists and such. So just there, you've got 20, 25 people to doing that in storyboards. And once you send it overseas, you've got hundreds to thousands of people working in the animation. So any one show could have, let's just shoot a ballpark here, 3,000 people working on it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. These studios in Korea are just packed to the rafters with animators. Mm. Did you ever go over there and, and see him in action? Yeah. I, I went over and directed some Spider-Man and his amazing friends uh, when uh, when the show was nearing its end in pre-production, that is, we finished our final storyboards and stuff, the head of the studio, Lee Gunther, approached me and said, I'd like to send you overseas to overlook what's going on over there. And I said, well, Lee, I'm a comic book artist and storyboard guy. I don't know that much about animation. I know how it works, but I don't actually animate. He says, I don't care. I just want your story sense. So I spent three and a half, four months living in Seoul, Korea, Oh, hmm. Fun. I enjoyed it. I had a blast. <laughs> Must have been interesting to actually see the the stable of artists, I guess, in action. Oh yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was a sweatshop. Let me tell you, those poor kids were ripping their buns off. Yeah, I see the same 
I would leave in the evening after eight to 10 hours working and see the same kids still working the next morning, washing their hairs in the sink and then going back to the, to the drawing board. It, it was kind of brutal to watch. Wow. But they were doing wonderful work and the head animators were really talented guys. Mm. Mm. So I was just wondering if we can go a little bit back with some of the characters. Now, I've heard a story, I don't know, I'm, I'm hoping you'll be able to shed a little bit more light on it, but I was told that um, uh, that the children for Flash Gordon and the Phantom were originally the other way around, that the Phantom originally had a son and Jedha was originally Flash Gordon's daughter. And then there was, as the story goes that I've heard, that there was a, a marketing team or bunch of experts that decided that it would be better to swap it around. Is that true? It's something like that because it was more King features. They were pretty involved there and they, they, they had a lot of say in this. And the idea for having the Phantom have a son, obviously, is because the Phantom is a multi-generational character. A son always takes it on. And this was meant to be an idea where uh, when, when it was all talked over that it would be more interesting to have the next phantom destined to be a woman, you know, and, and they just, you know, they were going to have a son and a daughter in there. So this worked out well for them. And instead of Mandrake having a, uh, a, a child, they decided it would be more interesting for Lothar because, you know, that way you've got Lothar having a much more uh, mm. involved um, relationship with the others and his child than you ever would have had in, in the comic strip where he was just kind of an aide-de-camp, a sidekick. Yeah, yeah. So now I've, again, I've got another bit of show and tell. I'm not sure if you can see that. This is a promo piece that I picked up on eBay recently. Now, in this one, it has actually got um, Jeddah, who's there, has got blonde hair. And then you've got the uh, you got LJ, who looks similar as what he does. Um, uh, the orphan child for Mandrake, whose name yeah, I forget. I, uh, I forget what the kid's name was. Started yeah. with the kid. Uh, Kishan. Kishan. Yeah, I think that's it. Kishan. Yeah. Yeah, he looks different. And then this Rick, I, I'm assuming that's who it would be. Also looks different. He's got black hair. So I'm assuming that this is one of the pieces where I actually had the Phantom as um, uh, as as his son. So, yes. do you remember this, this I've never seen before, but it looks, I, I, I'd actually have to see it clearer, but I believe it's E.R. Cruz, the, uh, the Filipino artist who, uh, who drew that. It looks like Cruz's work, and he was in the studio also. So, yeah, there was, this, this was stuff that was done probably before we actually kicked the show off. So, there was a lot of idea stuff uh, going around. They would always have somebody do up a... Uh, a presentation piece to show stuff and sell the, the, the client on stuff. And King Features, like I said, was really involved, so they wanted to see this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were paying for the show, so Marvel was more than willing to have take the time to do it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
Because so, you yeah. remember, sorry, do you remember any of the key um, names of the people out of King, King Features who were directly overseeing the show, or it was more just King Features as a? Yeah, not at all. I wasn't involved there. I, yeah, you okay. know, they they didn't want we artists, you know, influencing <laughs> what was being discussed in the business. <laughs> Very much, <laughs> you're more than likely to sell them on something, and then the bosses go, "What did you do that for? That's going to cost us thousands of dollars." <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> But there was a there was a lot of uh, freedom to take it in places we wanted to take it and work with characters we wanted to work with, and we had the entire pretty much King Feature stable to work with. So I immediately jumped on it and asked to do Prince Valiant, which we got to do a one a, a show yeah. with Prince Valiant and Arn and Alita. Yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of fandom elements as well. Like there was the um, one of my favourite ones was um, the battle between the two brothers, uh, Kit mm -hmm. and Kurt. Um, I've forgotten that episode. So I've watched these in years myself. So. Yeah, uh, and then there was the side uh, the side band or sky band came involved as well in one of the later episodes. Um, so did you like? Oh. So, do you have like a favorite episode or a favorite moment with the show? Yeah, it's the Prince Valiant episode because I, yeah. I really worked my butt off on it. And I pulled them two uh, outside guys who were really excellent storyboard artists. And then I storyboarded a section of it myself, which was the only time I did a full act on the show because I just wanted it to be as good as I could make it at the time. Yeah. And as I'll show you, I have designs for it by Nestor Redondo of Valiant and Arn in the stuff I'm going to show you. Okay, cool. Did we want to, uh, did we want to go have a look at it now? Sure, we can do that. We can start with those. Uh, let me share my screen here after I go first of all, to, and then I'll show you some phantom stuff because yep. we've got, I've got some phantom designs that uh, were done by, one was done by Russ Heath and the other, you know, Russ Heath's work. He's a very well-known comic book artist. And the other was done by a guy named Kurt Connors, really talented guy. Anyway, I'll start off here. So, uh, for those who are, so I'll just for those who are listening to it on the podcast audio only, uh, Rick is about to show us some stuff. <laughs> um, we'll explain it as we go. But if you wanted to watch it on YouTube, it will be on YouTube as well for you to have a bit of a look at as well. So here we go. There's uh, Valiant. That's drawn by uh, Nestor Redondo, again, one of the great comic book and, uh, and comic book artists and creative illustrators to come out of the Philippines. He was kind of the, the godfather, along with Alfredo Alcala, of the Philippine movement of comics. Mm. Uh, as you can see, he's just a stunningly good artist. He was mm. just great. He worked on things for DC Comics a lot. He did uh, some Swamp Thing work. He did Rima the Jungle Girl, and he did those beautiful Bible books that Joe Kubert laid out and, and wrote. So Nestor was just a stunningly good artist. This is Valiant. Here's one of Arn. Just let me know if I'm moving too fast through this stuff. Yep. No, it's good. It's um, just such clear and simple lines, aren't they? Oh. Yeah, Nestor was one of the great artists. He was just terrific at this. And he was perfect for animation because he could mm. simplify and still keep really solid forms on the page. Um, 
from here I'll go to some uh, character designs. Uh, let me start with, I mentioned the Phantom. There's one by Russ Heath. Everybody thinks I drew these when they see the RH, but that's Mr. Heath. When you see my, my initials in red on these, that's just me signing off on these as the director. Okay. So there's one by Russ Heath, which we like. And here's a turnaround by uh, Kurt Connors, who was uh, a guy who worked on Thundar, the Barbarian with me. And he also was one of the main layout guys on the original uh, heavy metal movie. So really, these, these are um, obviously all hand-drawn and you've scanned them in since, Rick? Yeah, these are, these are all originals that I own in my collection that I kept. And yeah, these, these are scanned. And this would have actually been a rough. So you can tell because it's in blue line and there's ragged edges to some of the lines and such. But it's a real nice turnaround. It really works for what, you're, what you want to do in animation. The problem with doing stuff like this turnaround for animation and trying to keep it faithful to what you see in comics or the comic strips is quite often, let's say, a favorite three-quarters shot like this one we're looking at the face. When you turn it, the, the side angle may not look exactly like you see in the comic strips, but it's accurate for the turn. That is mm. for the moving in space. So those are problems that we deal with a lot. So something like this probably would have been cleaned up with a little more attention toward uh, what the character looked like in the, in the comic strip or in the comic books. Okay. Um, other stuff is... I noticed the drawings on the, um, of this one compared to the, uh, the Russ Heath one. This one's a little bit more, uh, lack of a better term, blockier. Like the lines are more... Blocky, would that just be because it's a rough or would that be his art style as well? Rough, it's also that Russ was, could just see things on the page. He could see reality on a page. He was one of these guys, which have always driven me crazy as an artist, <laughs> who could just look at a page, a blank piece of paper, and then start drawing something uh, without much layout. For instance, I can tell you, I watched him one time draw a Sherman tank with no layout, perfectly accurate and in perspective. He, he just really had quite a mind and quite a vision for this sort of thing. I, I'd heard about that before, but I'd never actually seen it. And he, he was really amazing that way. I'm gonna cut back to that, that phantom drawing and we'll just look at the difference in how clean Russ's style was. And this mm. would have been a drawing for Russ. He wouldn't have had to do much to do that. Yeah. Pretty stunning stuff. Yeah, Russ was one of our main designers on. Uh, he came in while we were doing the Hulk, I believe, because he helped me design the main characters for that. He did the military guys like Talbot and Ross, and I did Banner and the Hulk and Betty, and he did Rick. And, same th and then when we moved on to G.I. Joe, he basically just took over the character stuff because that was, like, perfect for him. So Russ, he also worked on X-Men with us. We, he helped design all the X-Men characters for the Pride of the X-Men. Um, let me move on to some of Alex Nino's Ming designs. These are all things that were just idea drawings, but they're really stunning pieces of work. I mean, Alex, if you've never looked at his work, you should look that up. Alex, I believe Alex is still kicking around. 
and he was a main designer on the animated Mulan and stuff. He's really quite okay. a good. Uh, here's another one of Alex's, of Ming. Notice completely different style. That's, yeah. that's how good Alex was. And then there was a final, a couple of final sh uh, things he did. Here's uh, a final drawing of Ming that we didn't completely use. We changed it up quite a bit, but it's a really nice design. And it would mm. work real well in animation because it's just uh, lines with shapes you can fill in that are very simple shapes in a lot of ways. And he quite, did the- Quite an elaborate costume on Ming really, isn't it? When you think about drawing 24 of those for a second's worth of, um, of vision um, compared oh. to the, someone like the Phantom, uh, certainly. Oh, yeah, it'd be much more time-consuming. Yeah, mm. it's what we in the business call line mileage. Mm. That's what will hold you up when you're doing a drawing. People think, well, I can do a drawing of Spider-Man as quickly as I can do a drawing of Captain America. Well, you can do them both, but then you've got to do all that webbing on Spider-Man. So that's going to be what we call line mileage. Right, okay. Now, here's a couple of uh, model sheets of headshots of me, which are really stunning. Nice oh, things. wow. So who who is the artist on these ones again? Nino. Alex Nino still. Yeah, right. And you think that's the one that did this um, promo piece that I've got as well? It might be. Alex stuff is generally a little more wild and and uh, avant garde. That that look. When you get a chance when we're done here, send that to me if you can. To stand yeah, up. Of course. And I'll just look at it and I'll give you an answer as to who that is. Uh, here's another one by Alex, which is really delightful. Then uh, there's the final look to him, which was done by myself and Nestor Redondo. Here's one of mine inked by Nestor. Yeah. And here's one of my actual model sheet drawings of me. Model sheet drawing. So does that mean you actually had someone come in and, and pose for me? Is that what no, you mean by that? No, means I took what we had done before and simplified everything and brought it down to not only uh, a design that worked uh, for the traditional look of Ming, such as the starburst on his skull cap mm. and things like that, but also to define with line everything you're looking at, such as the eyes are completely outlined, the uh, eyebrows are both the same from different angles, that sort of thing. It just has no. to be really carefully designed. It's something I was really good at in the 80s. I lost an interest for it because it's incredibly time-consuming to do this kind of model work. Right. It yeah. looks simple, but it's not in the end. So is it almost like a style guide that you're creating with these models? Yeah, the models are what they work from in animation and in storyboard, and it keeps a cohesiveness to the whole production so that Anybody who's drawing Ming knows they have to draw him so he looks like that. Right. He's yeah. in that um, angle. Mm -hmm. And of course, I did complete turnarounds, which have been a full face, front on, uh, three quarters, a side shot, and at least one back shot or three quarters behind shot. Mm -hmm. Generally, the most um, important would have been the three quarters forward and the three quarters behind shots, full figure because that gives you a lot of idea of everything that's going on on the character. For instance, if you just get a back shot of Ming, all you're really looking at is a cape. Yeah. Yep. So you're not seeing form. 
And quite often when you are, are these days especially, working, doing a model with a cape on, you'll create a form and then draw the cape so that it's see-through. That is, you see the form through the cape, but you see the shape of the cape too. That's mm -hmm. very common on model design work from the 80s on. Okay. Um, whoops, let me, uh, let me go to a couple other things Alex did before I go to stuff that was actually production work. Uh, Alex did a number of other things for us. Alex Nino, like dinosaur designs. Oh, wow. Yeah, really cool stuff. Uh, there's another one like that. And I think there's, there's another one here. Spinosaurus. And of course, Alex just does what he does. <laughs> He's not like looking at any reference on this stuff. He's just <laughs> as he goes along, but boy, is, was he good at it. Yeah. And uh, let me see, I think there's one more up at the top here. Yeah, there's one there. And maybe one at the bottom. And Alex could just whip these out. He was so good. Yeah. Uh, those, there's one more alien monster design right there. Yeah. Some Goodness of, me. Some of those definitely, um, well, I, I remember some of these, well, some of these characters, you know, some of these dinosaurs and stuff. Yeah, we would have we would have had him do those for those dinosaurs in particular for a specific episode, yeah. uh, a time travel episode. But also, some of them they would find ways like a character like this would just be done during production just to throw ideas out, you know, keep keep the dialogue moving. And then later we'd have a group of these things we could go to if we needed aliens or something like that. Yeah, there was some pretty amazing alien work in, 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 this, in the show because a lot of it was oh, yeah. in space. Yeah, we had a lot of good designers. These guys I'm showing you right now were guys who I just particularly loved their work, so I grabbed the originals where I could. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of other guys like Sean McManus was on the show. Um, man, I, it's Mike Sikowski was a famous comic book artist. He was the original artist on the Justice League of America. Uh, all sorts of people were working on the show, and a lot of animation guys, too. Um, now I'm going to go to some of the uh, uh, presentation and, uh, well, actually, promotional stuff. This was done after the show was completed, and we needed, uh, like, logo drawings and mm -hmm. or promotional pieces, such as here's one that was used for the show where the logo would pop in over it when we when we caught to that final music sting defenders of the earth and then this would come on the screen basically that's that's uh, penciled by me and inked by nestor redondo that's so what we're looking at if you if you're just listening to the audio is the picture of the globe with the mandrake lothar um phantom and flash gordon standing behind it it's a that's a fantastic piece isn't it hold on i got one more that's even better that, he, that we did together this was a promotional piece, uh, and this is really a, a stunner in my opinion. This is me and Nestor again, but man, he just killed it on this. He just did it. Yeah, great. wow. Yeah, that is amazing. So that's a, um, uh, a montage, I suppose, of the entire group, all of the kids, all of the heroes running towards the screen um, or, or, or towards the viewer with Ming and... Uh, some pretty nasty spaceships in the background as well. That's um, yeah. That's that's one of that. The the robot, uh, the spidery robot, was one of Ming's minions, and the other thing is one of Ming's uh, 
ships. Yep. Mm. Um, and there's, I've got oh, one other thing here. I've got an actual title card from the first episode of the show. Um, this was the very first episode. And I, did, I drew this. And again, Nestor inked it. And it's actually multiple pieces. There's a background card with the space stuff on it. And there's overlays with flash and the, and the, and the uh, interior. Then over that is uh, a cell of the creature chasing the kids and the, the, another overlay cell, which is the rock stuff you're seeing. Yeah. Hmm. Just, I'm just looking at the paintwork of the rocks in the foreground. That's, that's just amazing. Like it's like just the, the work and detail in that. And then you've got the, the, the cleanness of the, you know, of the, of the actual drawings of the characters and that. So you, you've kind of got almost like a mix of two different um, mediums there. Yeah. And we had a bunch of good guys doing these. Will did some, uh, which other people inked. In fact, there's one that didn't make it onto the show. You can see it online, but there's one of the Phantom close up on the card. And then uh, he's holding one of his pistols and behind him is, uh, I forget what's, it, it, I think it's just a jungle shot behind him. But originally, Will had done a rough, and the artist Gray Morrow had done the finish work. It's just gorgeous. And the producers didn't like it. They asked us to redo it. They didn't like Gray's style, even though he was one of the great comic book artists. Mm. Uh, there was, we did one of these for every episode. So we had guys like, I know Sean uh, McManus did uh, a, a, a couple of them for us. He did some really gorgeous stuff. And... Uh, a whole bunch of guys worked on it because by the time we were in production, Will and I had no time for this stuff. We were, and Will actually was pulled off to work on Jim uh, at that point, the the girls' rock band show. Mm -hmm. so, so other than that, I can show you one more piece, which is just something I did a couple of years ago as a uh, uh, commission of the Phantom. Which is... Uh, made it as a, a trading card from the most recent Phantom. Um, uh, yeah. So this exactly. is Gallery Series 2. Yeah, yep. so this is the Phantom yep. running over uh, with the Skull Cave in the background running over a log. And that yep. card is number 46 if you've got the trading card series in front of you. I, I don't have them, but, you know, that, I'd love to have them. That would um, be great. Yeah, well, you've got a parcel on its way to you, and so I think there's a couple of the cards in there as well. So, we can... but this, uh, this, did, did the, what was the guy's name who did it? I've forgotten what his name was. Uh, Glenn Ford. That's it. Yeah. Um, did he ever like put any of them online where you can just find them and look at them? You know. Um, I don't think so. No, I, I'll, I'll talk to you after the podcast, but. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, is it possible for you to go back to the drawing that you've got of the of the four characters over the world? Uh, I'm sorry, the four characters over the world. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, there we go. Yeah. Now, I've got to do something that I wouldn't normally do, but we'll see how we go with this. Now, I'm. I just ask about that because. I'm not sure if you can see it, but uh, I'm just showing you a, um, for those, so I'm just showing a Defenders claw copter that was actually the UK version. Uh, that drawing, the logo looks very, very similar to what you've got there. 
That's it. Um, yeah. Then if yeah. you look at the US version, it actually doesn't have Lothar and it's got the Phantom in the middle, which is a front-on view. I'm not sure if you can see that. I can see it. I, I mean, I can't see it well, but I can see the design yeah. and I can see that it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah, and it only had the logo in front of it. This is just the preliminary design. I mean, mm. the preliminary drawing before it was painted and so forth. Yeah, so I just wanted to show you, I guess, that... Oh that drawing as actually in production in a, in an actual something that I, you know, was that a, a toy, um, a box or something? Was yeah. It? So that was, uh, so there's two different, there's two different versions of that logo for like the toys and the, um, figurines and stuff. So there was the UK version, which was done by rainbow toys, which has got Lothar in it. And then there's the U S version, which was done by Gallup. O-G-A-L-L-O-B, which has just got Mandrake, the Phantom, and Flash in it. It doesn't have Lothar in it. Excuse me. You might, be able to, you might be able to see that a little bit more clearly, Rick. Yeah, the, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Just the three characters. Yeah. And then you've got the one with the four characters like that. So, mm. so yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. Fun. Yeah, I think um, seeing the, those sorts of variations of the logos is uh, the sort of things that collectors really spark collectors' interest because then you then you say, well, I need to get one of each sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, these and these things were passed along to um, King Features, who was working with a toy company or multiple toy companies. I'm I'm sure. So they would do what uh, we've always have done when we do style guide work, because I've done tons of style guide work for. Lucasfilm on Star Wars also and they just are told to use these drawings as as the official look but they're allowed to alter things here and there so mm -hmm. that's why Lothar obviously is taken out of that and I wouldn't doubt that Marvel at some point created that triptych as opposed to the, the four guys here yeah okay Awesome. So, um, now there's an episode, um, the title of the episode is called Root of Evil. Now, the reason I raised this one is because the characters and the art all look really, really different. Now, I know it might be a bit of a stretch remembering back that far, but do you, would you have an idea why, you know, the, the art would look really different? Like, even the main guys look different. Would have that been like the first would that been like the pilot that was created or? That's what it would have been. Something like a pilot or an early episode that they just felt they had to use for time constraint purposes. So they went ahead and just edited it together and did the best they could with it. But yeah, they, they, to sell a show like this, they would have had to do some animation. And King Features, as I recall, was throwing some pretty good money at them. So they would have been doing anything they could to get this soul show, this show sold for. Yeah. And that's more than likely what it is. I'd have to go back and watch these things because they're, I haven't looked at them in years. The only one thing I've seen recently is Will Minio recently sent me a, a I think it's, it's a Google, um, uh, one of their PDF things where, that has a ton of the storyboards from the show. Have you seen this? Yeah, we um, I've seen it. We've we've actually got a um, on our 
with one of the things that we do, we do like a preservation project where we add things like storyboards and stuff that would normally be lost or newspaper articles and stuff. So one of the things that we are doing is downloading some of these storyboards to put onto our pre onto our phantom preservation project. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's. You want me to cut away from this and go back to the screen? It's up to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Okay. I'll just. I'll just. So some of the. Um, some of the things that you've just showed us would, uh, um, I'm not sure if you would give us uh, copies of those to be able to add to it as well, but they're amazing. Um, oh, sure. I'll just send you scans of this stuff. Sure. Yeah. It's, awesome. it's amazing having a look at that and, and like the uh, work. When we get done here on Messenger, give me an email address because yep. I can do this here with one of those file transfer protocols that I can do, you know, I can just uh, reduce it and then send, it, send the whole file. Of course. Of That's course. fantastic. Thanks, Rick. And, and I guess on behalf of the Patreons in particular, who are the, the people who support us and have access to that uh, preservation project, they'll, they'll love being able to check that out and take the time to, uh, to look at it, all of that, um, that great artwork you've just shown us. Hmm. Yeah, and the actual reproduction of these is nice. I mean, they're real crisp and clean. Mm. Awesome. Um, I was, can't remember what I was saying. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Um, oh, so you were just talking about um, you haven't rewatched some of the episodes. I'm not sure if you know, but there's a Facebook page, Comics Kingdom, that has uh, once a week they've actually been showing a, a episode on their Facebook page and like re reshowing it. So um, yeah, so for those who haven't watched it before or haven't watched it for a while, you know, make sure you go onto Comics Kingdom Facebook mm. page and. They've been doing like little um, little events and stuff. They're uh, they're good fun watching. I actually watched one the other day during my lunch break to you know to kind of get myself into the mindset for the for uh, for today. And and for what it's worth, Rick, um, Comics Kingdom ran a poll uh, to see which Phantom animation they should show, whether it's Defenders of the Earth or uh, Phantom Twenty Forty. And Defenders of the Earth uh, clearly was the more popular and and got the Guernsey. I rem as I remember that Phantom Twenty Forty had a really bizarre style, didn't it? Yeah, it was it's certainly very different. Yeah, I think it was a French one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. It had just kind of a a long, stretchy look to the characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. It, it was an acquired taste for sure. Some people really, really love it, um, and and for others they prefer the more traditional, um, similar, I guess, to what um, your version is. Oh yeah! When I do this stuff, I, I want to stay as close as I can to the to the original characters. Every time it goes off base for me, I just it always leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Mm. And I love watching some of the old stuff, but I, there's you know having worked on it, there's moments when it's like walking into a haunted house or something. Because <laughs> I I have all these fans who love Spider Man and his amazing friends, but. Good God, those are hard for me to sit through. They, they just, I can see every mistake in them. <laughs> I hate the voice recording, even though I think the voice actors are really good. I just think the recording is terrible in most cases. Mm. And Defenders was better. We were getting a lot better as we went along there. G.I. Joe was really a step forward for all of us. It was really Because that we got to do, it was almost total freedom, and it started a whole wave where we got Defenders of the Earth and all these other shows where they were trying to sell toys, which was actually a godsend to, to us in animation. We weren't stuck 
with a, a funny animal in every show and, you know, bad gags and terrible villains that didn't have anything to do with the characters. This, these were all much more faithful things. Mm. Have you seen the toys and some of the other stuff that's been created from Defenders of the Earth? I have some of the original release toys in, in with my toys that are put away someplace. I have a ton of old uh, uh, action figures and stuff. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I got most of the main characters from that. Mm, yeah. They're not packaging. I mean, I would have taken them out because the kid in me always wanted to oh. take them. <laughs> the, the one that I showed you before, Rick, is in packaging, but only because it is the, um, the original, and I'm not sure if you can see me, it's right here. This was probably my favourite toy growing up. It was, this was my introduction to the Phantom, actually, um, in terms of a toy or a collectible. I was reading the stories, but uh, yes, I've only got that one in packaging so that I've got a, a nice version of the one that I played to death. <laughs> now, what did they have the knob on the back for? I forgot. Yes. Uh, that was so that he can, he can uh, punch his arms like that. So. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that figurine was actually released in the UK, but it was also released in um, uh, Italy as well. Oh, that's interesting. I've never been, you know, I, I never have followed the, you know, what, what gets distributed outside the US, but these characters are much more beloved around the world than they hear in the US. Same thing with Tarzan. Tarzan just isn't appreciated in the US like the rest of the world appreciates it, basically. Mm. Because there's nothing like a white man running around in the jungle, you know. <laughs> yeah, it can lead to some awkward conversations. I always, I still love Tarzan. You know, I, I still, I read the books again recently, the early ones that are really good. And I went, damn, these are good stories, you know. And you can really believe this works for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Same thing with the, Phantom. the Phantom is a character it's easy to relate to and it's easy to, to, to say, yeah, I can believe that. I think, I think that could happen. It's, it's easier than like Flash Gordon, which is so out there. What was it like, and, and I guess this is partly a writer's challenge as well, but for yourself as an art director, like bringing together those two um, very different types of stories. Um, I know they're in, all in the King Feature stable, but as you say, um, very relatable through to so outlandish and, and you found a middle ground. Uh, I think it's because they they put it all in the world of Flash Gordon. I mean, making Ming the main character, it made the others have to become science fiction characters along with that. Well, you can't call that science fiction, it's fantasy. But it, it, it put them in his reality more than they entering, uh, than them, him entering theirs, such as Flash Gordon wouldn't be he would be out of his element in the jungle stories. But what was really nice is it allowed them to do those sorts of stories. Like mm. there was a number of stories set in the jungle with the Phantom and stuff. As I recall, there were individual stories, at least one of the Phantom. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. There was, um, there was the Phantom battling his brother, uh, which was, right. I think episode four or something. There was the, uh, the sky band, which, um, as well, which was a, a group of bad people from, or villains from the Phantom stories. Um, and that was what's great about working with King Features is they wanted us to integrate all of that stuff. Yeah. Mm. And I know as a, when I first watched the series from start to end, um, as a 22 year old and I was a Phantom 
collector than a Phantom fan then, those stories really helped me enjoy the overall TV series more because it had that heavy Phantom influence, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think Flash Gordon is not as interesting without all those people around him, uh, like Dale Arden and Dr. Zarkoff and those characters, Prince mm. Barber and those characters. I think they make it much more palatable. Mandrake can fit into a lot of things because he was basically just a detective we get right mm. now. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I really enjoyed the TV series. It's, um, I've actually, when, I was a little bit upset when my daughter was watching it because she was watching it without me. Like, we started watching it together. <laughs> and then um, I'll come home from work and she's watching it. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're supposed to wait for me. <laughs> and by then she had watched, you know, four or five episodes. And... Getting on a binge watch, you know. It's nothing <laughs> like... I always hate that when, my, when I ask my wife, so should we watch the next episode of whatever it is? And she goes, oh, I'm already on episode eight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, um, where does Defenders of the Earth TV, the TV series, where does it sit, you know, looking back over your career, you said that you've retired from animation a year and a half ago. Where does it rate to, in your long list of accolades and, and TV shows? Like, what, what, is it one of the better ones that you've done? or like, It's does... one of the most important ones for, for the, the prime reason that it was the first one where I really had so much input and was a director on the show. I really got to learn how to direct. I knew the basic way to do it, but when you do hands-on every day, you begin to realize all the work that goes into it, what, what's necessary, and you also begin to realize how hard it can be. But I also just like the characters, and I enjoyed working. I do have others that are more that are that are that are more my favorites. I would say uh, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, X-Men, and uh, in particular uh, Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes were just really joys to work on. Especially Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which we did about 10, 12 years ago. That's just so faithful. Material. It was just a pure joy to work on. And it animated really well. Very nice. Mm. So and there was a lot of yeah. shows I worked on. I worked on, you know, the first Spider-Man and the, the animated series, which was a really good show in the 90s. The 90s, everything got a little more, uh, there was more being done uh, as far as quality of production. But a lot of that happened because of what we did in the 80s. We kept pushing them for better stuff. You can see a definite quality jump from a 70s show to a show like Defenders of the Earth. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There was, it's just had more money, like G.I. Joe. Hasbro threw money at it, so it always looked pretty damn good. Mm. Yeah. And, and I guess that's it's everything's a product of its times, isn't it? If you were doing Defenders of the Earth today, then the, the CGI and all the rest of the technology that's available would mean that it would necessarily look pretty different. Oh, spaceships and stuff would be awesome because yeah. they, can, they can make a CGI thing out of that, a CGI prop out of that, and then when it's gone through its final process, they run it through a filter that just puts an outline around it, so it looks like a drawn element, but it moves like a 3D object, and mm. that's astounding. Mm. 
This show, though, was really important for me, and I would keep it in, in mind over many others because I worked on so many shows that are totally forgettable and were done <laughs> because I was trying to make a living at the time. I, I worked on a show called Turbo Teen, which was just a wretched piece of thing. <laughs> and I worked on Mr. T, which was also pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, a lot of them along the way, you just have to, you know, make a living mm. and wait for that more special moment to really enjoy it. But you still got to put the work in and you got to do a good job. Yeah. But honestly, the 90s, there's probably dozens of shows that I contributed to that somebody would have to go, you remember when you worked on this? And I'd go, no, I don't. But <laughs> you don't think I did. I probably did. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you remember Defenders then. <laughs> <laughs> Not it's the reason I don't remember all the episodes is because I haven't watched them since I yes. first mm. after they were released. Some I have, like the the uh, Prince Valiant show I saw recently, like a year or so ago, and I just wanted to watch it because I had such good memories of it. Even though I have to stand back and go, "Oh God, we could have done better there," you know, it's just <laughs> your nature not to be happy with what you're, you've of done. Of course, yeah. of course, um, Dan of. I've run out of questions. Uh, Dan, do you have any other questions? Um, oh, I think um, we've, we've covered uh, so much stuff. Is there, if, if, has the conversation sparked any other ideas for you, Rick, that, um, you know, things that... I think you guys have pretty much covered everything. The, the only thing I always was... Uh, we had a particular character in mind for Mandrake when we first started this thing because we were all movie fans and such. And the Phantom was always going to be the Phantom... And Flash Gordon was always going to be Flash Gordon. But Will Minio and I really wanted to do the old actor William Powell as, as Mandrake the Magician. He's one of my favorite actors. He was in a lot of great 1930s films like My, my Man Godfrey and things like that. The Thin Man. He played the Thin Man in the Thin Man films. And so we had the great comic book artist Dan Spiegel draw up some drawings of him. And they were just spot on with him looking like William Powell and King Features would have nothing to do. I think um, from a King Features point of view, um, Mandrake is pretty iconically based on Lee Falk. Um, so perhaps they, they didn't want to s step too far away from that, I suppose. Oh, they made the right call. They, I, this was fan stuff that, you know, <laughs> Young in a business like that, you, your fanboy comes out pretty fast, you know. Like it took us when we were working on Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, we browbeat the whole studio about putting the X-Men in that show until finally, near the end of the first season, we did an episode with the X-Men, and they finally got it. They went, "Yeah, this is interesting." But yeah, the fanboy in me always comes out in this stuff, even today. There's stuff mm. about. And I think I we can we can see. I know about the character. Yeah, I think we can see the fanboy and the collector in you in the way that um, you just grabbed a few little pieces of um, design art and that sort of thing as you're going through as you as you like them and we, we appreciate and uh, thank you for sharing those with us today as well. Yeah, that oh, was amazing. A pleasure to share it because I don't show it to many people. Yeah, no, we we'll appreciate that. We really do. Um, before we go, do you? Um, I know, I know, you're in retirement, and all that. But do you accept commissions? Can people come yes. to you? Yep. Yeah, what I do right now is basically commission work, and I do uh, 
Uh, I do take a gig once in a while, but I have an ongoing thing with uh, 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 a company that does uh, uh, work for Microsoft, and they, they call me about once a month, and I do uh, presentation storyboards for Microsoft, which is very lucrative and enjoyable to do, and I don't have any of that uh, angst I would have drawing a character like the Phantom or Spider-Man. <laughs> Draw it, and it doesn't. I don't have any emotional connection to it other than I just like drawing. But yeah, I take commissions. That's what I do a lot of the time. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know you've got. Uh, I know you're doing a commission for myself uh, as well, so I appreciate that as it comes through. Yep. In fact, I'm finishing up one right now, and I should be ready to start on something for you. Awesome. All right, well, that would be very. I, I think probably the package that I sent you is probably still stuck in transit. But somewhere. You wanted to send me the, the actual board to draw on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so they probably haven't arrived yet. Um, yeah, no, I haven't. With seen the, it yet. Yeah, with the current climate, they're probably stuck in transit. God, everything's slow as hell around here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, the only one in America who doesn't. It's not really bothered too much about this situation. I mean, I'm more than willing to follow the rules, of course, but it's got to be done. But my whole life for the last 30 years has been living in my house, working out of my studio. So what's different for me? Not much. <laughs> if I want to go to work, I've got work right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a few artist friends and a, and a lot of them have said very similar as well. It's just, you know, isolation is what they've been doing their whole life. <laughs> yeah. So we really appreciate your time today um, uh, and showing us, showing us everything. And, letting us go back to our childhood and our younger selves. And, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of listeners as well who would have, um, would be getting a real, uh, a real nostalgic feel at the moment after listening to you, you share about a much loved uh, TV show. So, uh, so on behalf of myself and uh, every other listener, I just wanted to say thank you for your time today, Rick. My pleasure. It was actually a lot of fun talking to you. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Mike. Awesome. Thank you. Rick. Nice meeting you guys. Cheers. Thanks. All right. So if we just press stop on the recording, yep. um, that, awesome. was, that was really good. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, really. Yeah, my good. pleasure. It was a lot of fun. So yeah. don't forget to send me that that presentation piece. I really want to see who that was. Yeah, I was yeah. Love seeing this stuff, you know, and, and quite often things were done that we didn't see because they were part of negotiations between King Features and other departments. Yeah, no, I'll um, I'll keep it out and I'll uh, I'll take a scan and I'll um, I'll send it over. I'll probably send it probably Monday, uh, is when I'm back okay. at work. Now I guess I better get to my other job, which is cooking dinner for the seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to race into a meeting at work, so um, I've got to yeah. go. So yeah, thank All you very right, much, Rick. I really appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Good evening. Bye bye. Well, wow, that was really good. Uh, it's just myself at the moment. Uh, Dan's had to uh, duck off as well. Um, but I hope everyone really enjoyed that. I know I did. Uh, it was amazing looking at those uh, those pieces. Um, but, yeah, no, it was really, really good. Um, so a huge shout-out to uh, Dan who joined us, but also to Rick uh, who was able to um, join us for, you know, for a good hour-long discussion about the TV show. Um, so... So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to that. Now, if you've come in late, uh, we are the chroniclechamber.com. You can find us on the website, chroniclechamber.com. Uh, if you want to email us or talk to us, you can do that via chroniclechamber at gmail.com. 
Uh, for social media, we are on Facebook, which is chroniclechamber.com, and there are, we've also uh, admins of the Phantom Collector Group Facebook page as well. On Twitter, we are at Chronicle Tweets. On Instagram, we are also at Chronicle Chamber. Now, um, if you've come to us because of the Defenders of the Earth or you're a fan of Rick and the work that he's done as well, you can find us on iTunes uh, if you're a, an iPhone or an i Apple user. If you are an Android user, uh, there is we're on many of the other apps like Podbean, Player FM, Castbox, Listen Notes, as well as Spotify. Uh, Spotify is it Spotify? Yeah, Spotify as well. So um, now we made mention of Patreon users. So Patreon is basically uh, Patreon is a website where people can sign up and they can help sponsor and help uh, donate some of their money to be able to help us run things so basically patreon uh does things like pays for all the bills like um you know using zoom the website hosting the website domain name and a lot of the other things we do as well so a lot of those things that were shown in the youtube version of this podcast will be up on our uh, patreon side of things along with um this promo piece as well that we were talking about as well and some of that other stuff as well. So that will also be all be up there inside the next month or so as well. Now, if you want to learn more about Patreon, you can go to our website and there is a link on there as well. So as we go, I just wanted to say thank you for everyone who listened to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, if you did watch the TV show um, and you enjoyed it, make sure you drop us a line, a comment, on either Facebook or one of the other social media um, platforms and let us know what your childhood memory of that show is as well. Um, so until next time, uh, thank you, uh, happy phantoming and stay safe. Yeah.